This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Hard to believe, but it is Thursday, February 3rd. I'm here on the floor at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and we are in the booth of Christian Hansen. Very excited. We're going to be talking probiotics and what that can mean for beef operations here in the second segment. We're also going to be talking about what happened here at NCBA yesterday. They did come out with their policy priorities for 2022. We'll be talking to Tanner from the NCBA team here in segment three about what all has happened there. And then segment four, we're talking fat cattle. We're going to see what's going on down in the Southern Plains. So stay with us here on AOA. To kick things off first, though, we are going to be talking with Mr. Larry Schnell. He's the owner of Stockman's Livestock Exchange, Sale Barn in Dickinson, North Dakota. Also, president of the Livestock Marketing Association. Larry, let's talk first about running a sale barn in the drought territory of North Dakota last year. How many producers in your region were selling cows? Well, the reality is, is that all of our producers were selling cows. Uh, certain areas, not as many as others, but they all had to really sit down at the kitchen table and decide how much feed they were going to have because we could see early on, like we're talking a year ago today, that they could see there was not going to be very much, if any, hay, very little grass, uh, much less than normal. So they had to sit down at the kitchen table and decide how many cows they're going to be able to keep. So I, I believe every single producer in the state of North Dakota sold some cows. Of course, some way more than others, but everybody had to sell some. Larry, you know, that, that drought up there, you know, we talk about it being 2021, but it was a slow-moving catastrophe that took a couple of years to develop. As we've made it through 2021, have things gotten better in North Dakota? What are you looking at now? Well, the eastern part of the state, uh, you know, from basically from the center to the east, uh, has gotten quite a lot more snow this winter than we have in the western part. Uh, you know, we're about 60 miles from Montana. We have basically gotten no snow whatsoever. We didn't get any fall rains, didn't basically get any summer rain. Um, so the prospects for grass this spring and for hay are not good right now. Unless something happens here in, in the next couple of months, uh, it'll be about as close to a disaster as far as the cattle industry in western North Dakota. Larry, what have hay prices done? I mean, that drought cutting production so severely off such a large geographic area. You, producers must be trucking in hay from everywhere. Well, there's no question. There was very little of it available in North Dakota, and that 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 was available was very expensive. Uh, normally, at the auction market there in Dickinson, we would uh, pay you know sixty, seventy dollars a ton delivered. Uh, this past year, it was more like two hundred to two hundred and fifty dollars a ton delivered and you had to go a long ways away to get it. Wow. Larry, you know, one of the crucial things about rural America is, of course, the sale barn in town. Having a local place for farmers to bring their product, have buyers come in, see what's out there. On the cow-calf side, as you talk to folks in the livestock industry, other sale barn owners like yourself and the, your role at LMA, are, are you seeing some enthusiasm for buying at the sale barn stay in the industry? Well, there, there always is. You know, really, uh, the auction market is a, I don't know if I want to call it the, the, the focal point for communities, but for many smaller communities that have an auction market, it definitely is. And even the bigger ones, they end up being, the city grows up around them. Uh, but they are definitely a part of the uh, culture and the society of any of the, of the cities that they are close to. And I don't think that's changed at all. Uh, I meet, uh, you know, I give a lot of talks around the nation, and in almost every place they'll talk about how when they they were someone who was growing up, how the, one of the greatest times of the year was when they got to go to the auction market and have a good hamburger. The, you know, and, and they're just they're famous for the good hamburgers. Does Stockman's have a good grill in the sale barn? Oh, absolutely. You Wonderful. Bet. Wonderful. Yeah, lots of the people come. Larry, when do you guys run your sales? Our sales are typically on Thursdays. We have one every Thursday. And then during heavy marketing seasons and when we sell bred females, we'll go on Tuesday. Let's talk bred females. You're up there, Western North Dakota. You've got quality genetics there in that, that West River country. What are you seeing prices for, for bred heifers or, or bred, bred mama cows? Well, we just had a sale this week on Tuesday, 
and we had some cows up as high as 2,000. Uh, we had bred heifers up to 1,800, but we have had some bred heifers stronger than that as well. It's really been surprising how strong that market is, but I think I'd qualify that in the group side because I think if we had, you know, a group of 100 head of bred heifers that, you know, to, that really should sell in one group, that would be a lot tougher. But there's a lot of people buying 10, 15, up to 25 or 30 head uh, because they've sold all, you know, all their old cows, a lot of them all their middle-aged cows, and they're looking down the road. They're going to have to have some cattle. And so rather than wait a year for a, a heifer, they're buying a bred heifer or a three-year-old. And so that, that's still staying local. Anything that's over like six years of age, solid mouth, short-term cows, they're going states away. Oh, really? So you, you got buyers coming in from Iowa, any place? Oh, yes. Yeah, so many cows. of the cows are going to Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, uh, and south. And uh, yeah, because they're just, there's no place for them in the state. Yeah, yeah. From the LMA perspective, cash cattle marketing has been a hot discussion here and around the country for two or three years now. Larry, what's LMA doing to encourage folks to continue to, to market cattle using a negotiated cash system like a sale barn? Well, we're really trying to uh, follow the lead of the cattle industry itself. You know, running an auction market, we deal with, uh, as an example, we deal with all aspects of uh, where, no matter where these people stand on uh, how this should go about, how we can get more money back into the pocket of cattle feeders and cow calf producers, we deal with them all. So it's really impossible for us to pick one thing. We're looking, we're hoping that they can come up with something. We had a meeting uh, a year ago of uh, the five biggest organizations, cattle industry, and uh, it was amazing how much we had in common. But there's, uh, to this point, there's not been a silver bullet show up that can solve it. We're going to continue to listen to them. Right now, we're spending a lot of time talking with cattle feeders of all sizes across the nation because we want their perspective too because they're going to be most affected by anything that's done, uh, especially if it involves the government. Yeah. So we want their perspective and we want to do something that's going to be positive for the whole industry. So that's what we're watching for. We're listening and watching and still trying to get something done as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Larry, you know, it's a tough subject. There's there's great intentions, I think, on, on almost all sides. But my goodness, there are a lot of different ways to get there. And it's just going to be a, a, a long conversation to make sure we get to the end point. Well, and this isn't the first you know time we've talked about this. We're talking about something that's been around for 50 years. Now, though, I think the one thing that's really changed is there's a lot of emotions involved yes. in some of these uh, perspectives, and, and that's, that's, in some cases, really hard to deal with. Yeah. Larry, look out to this next year. You guys getting more rainfall in western North Dakota, or is it going to be another tough year? From what we're hearing, I was at the Cattle Facts uh, meeting yesterday, and they always have a great weather report. Uh, the prospects are not good. Uh, they showed a little bit that, you know, maybe towards late uh, or early spring, March, uh, April, we may get some, but it showed through the summer very little. Uh, so the prospects are not good right now, and I hate to even say that because it's, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, well, we certainly hope that things turn around in North Dakota and across all the northern plains. And Larry Schnell, thanks for stopping in to talk to us. Stockman's Livestock Exchange, Dickinson, North Dakota. Thank you, Larry. You bet. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking probiotics in the beef world, well, and the dairy world. So stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. 
Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, coming to you from the trade floor trade show floor rather here in houston texas national cattlemen's beef association i am in booth 1221 on the trade show that is the booth for christian hansen they are a microbiological solutions company am i close yes sir that's correct steve lerner the the head of marketing and product development is joining me today and we've been talking about microbes and sort of the connections of these tiny little things that we can't see throughout the food industry Dr. Lerner, before we get into probiotics and everything, talk to me a little bit about Christian Hansen. You guys are big in cheese. Let's yes, start sir. start there. Christian Hansen has uh, been an entity since 1874, when a Danish pharmacist named Christian Hansen was the first to extract rennet from calf stomachs to turn milk into curds and whey. Interesting. So we've been involved in food cultures and enzymes, Half the cheese in the world starts with one of our products. Half the yogurt in the world starts with one of our cultures. Wow. So around the world, we're, we're a big deal in the food industry. Right, and it's just, it's one of those products that exists in the background for most of us as consumers when I'm going to, to buy my yogurt at the grocery store. I'm not looking for the Christian Hansen brand, but That's I'm correct. probably buying Christian Hansen. Right. When we look at the consumers of Christian Hansen products from the food culture side, we estimate about a billion people worldwide every day consume something that started with a Christian Hansen product. That's, that's one seventh of the global population Daily. eating something that you guys have touched. That's that's yes. very cool. Well, we're very happy about that. And our, our really big claim to fame and part of our value drivers is all around sustainability. And one of our four value drivers is we work for a better world. Mm. So we are constantly looking for improving efficiency of either preserving nutrients in milk mm -hmm. in the form of cheese or yogurts, or on the animal side, preserving nutrients from the soil into the plant, from the plant into silage, from silage into the animal, from the animal onto the table. And that's really our driver. Okay, so you've got the food culture side, and then you've got the, the probiotic side, the animal nutrition side. And, and that's obviously what you're doing down here. We're talking products for cattle producers. Steve, while well, I got you, let's talk about those products for cattle producers. What have you guys got that you're excited about in 2022? Uh, we have recently launched a product, Bovacillus, 
And what we love most about that product is it is a combination of bacilli. And what is good about bacilli for the beef industry is they are highly resilient organisms. They can be put into chemically hardened blocks and lick tubs and liquid feeds across the board, highly versatile so that we can get effective probiotics into beef cows and their calves, into stockers and backgrounders, and even in the small feed yards, effectively and efficiently. Why? Why would I be wanting to put, particularly bacilli, into my cattle nutrition program? Well, what probiotics do in general is really support four areas in the physiologic function of an animal. Mm -hmm. They help with digestion by producing enzymes, they ensure a healthy digestive tract, which means you get more absorption of those nutrients into the animal. They support the barrier function, keeping things that are moving through the digestive tract out of the animal's body, and they support immune function. Mm. So if you can get effective probiotics into, let's say, a cow-calf operation, then you increase the efficiency by which that cow converts grass to body for her gain. You know, for the little while she's producing mm -hmm. milk for that calf, it's probably more efficient production and you'll probably get a heavier calf out of that operation when you're providing a, an effective probiotic. And of course, you've been a better converter of grass to animal, which is all about sustainability. Right, and helping your ROI. That's, that's the other side of sustainability that, as a, or from a producer's perspective, might matter a little more. It, it keeps dollars in your pocket. But I want to circle back to, to one of the things you mentioned, which is the immune defense function. Yes. When I think about probiotics, and I think about it for human use, and I'm going to eat my yogurt and you know be healthier and happier in my gut, I get it. How does it help with, with the immune system for, for a young calf, for example? Certainly. So there are many things that come in from the grass that they're consuming into their bodies. And one of the beauties of bacilli is they are active, motile hunter killers. They have been involved in active germ warfare for about 100 millennia. And the organisms that they believe are their direct competitors are Clostridia mm. and E. coli and Salmonella. And if we can directly inhibit those potential pathogens in the digestive tract before they have a chance to interact with the host, that's an advantage. And if we can also use these bacilli to interact with the host directly to help get the host fine tune its capacity to respond to attacks from pathogens, then you get a, a double whammy on the positive side. Yeah. You so, inhibit pathogens and right. you, inhib you improve the response to those pathogens if there's ever a challenge. So I understand the inhibition, basically the barrier function, we're, we're helping the bad stuff work its way out the backside That's of correct. the animal. The, the, the other function you mentioned there, the ability to actually teach the gut to respond more effectively, yes. how, how does that work? What's the mechanism there? Is it just literally our, our guts respond to pressures? So. There are certain specialized cells, they're called dendritic cells, that are responsible for a process called immunosurveillance. And it is exactly what it sounds like. As pathogens are coming through, these cells have a little process that goes into the inside of the intestine and it senses what is there. Okay. And then when it finds these potentially harmful organisms, it presents the, that cell to our immune system. And our probiotic organisms improve the capacity of those dendritic cells to exert their functions. And then the dendritic cells direct antibody production or they direct direct cellular immunity. Okay. So it absolutely fine tunes the system to prevent any infection from becoming even subclinical or clinical. Interesting. So really, it's it's a seek and destroy mode that we're setting up in the gut. That that is exactly one of the functions of effective probiotics. Very cool. To, it, and of course, these organisms are simply seeing Clostridia and E. coli as competitors, and it's a natural function to try to compete against those organisms, and the benefit is for the host. Interesting. So, I mean, I think that comes back to, I'm not a science guy, I barely got through college. So I'm curious, when we think about this probiotic and the ecosystem in which they live, the, the gut overall, you, you talked about this out-competing. What else is in the gut? What, what are we competing against? What are, on the cattle side, on the beef side specifically, sure. what are the positive uh, microbiome aspects you want to continue? Certainly. So, when we think about the microbiome, it is tens or hundreds of billions of organisms. And when we provide probiotics, 
you're actually trying to create a positive balance. It's called eubiosis in the gut. So the animals are able to better make use of nutrients, to defend themselves more effectively. And this eubiosis exists in every animal, whether we're talking about a herd of dairy cattle, a lot of beef cattle, a flow of pigs or a flock of chickens. And we even have data in newborn infants and adults. Interesting. When you look at what keeps us healthy and normal, it is a healthy, well-balanced microbiome. And we euphemistically call that gut health or a okay. healthy gut. But the microbiology of that is you want a positive balance between good beneficial organisms and a decrease in pro-inflammatory organisms. And those are the organisms like Clostridia and the E. coli, they cause inflammation. Inflammation is a waste of resources yeah. because now the animal is burning energy to defend itself when what you want it to do is grow or produce milk or grow a calf in its belly. Yeah. That's what you want it to do. That would be a normal function of the animal. And we say that effective probiotics simply support normal function. Yeah, I was going to say, I've heard you talking to customers around here, and I've heard you mention that several times. Support normal. And you've talked about how when you hear from producers who are using it, it even if they don't have the data, if they're just looking out in the pasture, they've got the, the, anecdotes, the anecdotes to support the yes. normalcy in their herd. Yes, when we talk to nutritionists, they, the nutritionists particularly who love us, they will echo our marketing messages. And head of marketing, I'm very happy for that. But when I speak to producers, those who work with the animals every day, what they tell us is when they're using an effective probiotic, they see fewer deads. They see better gain. Their animals are just doing better. And for them, sometimes that anecdote of seeing is believing is as real as rain. And while I can't market to those messages, I can certainly reflect that that's what's happening in the marketplace. Yeah. And I believe that in any animal production system, if you have a greater percentage of normal, healthy animals, then your chance of economic success goes up. It's a one-to-one -one correlation. So our belief is simply keep your animals healthy and normal and the payback will come. All right, Dr. Steve Lerner, Head of Marketing and Product Development here with Christian Hansen. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. And thanks for letting us use your booth here at the Trade Show Floor Booth 1221. If you're in Houston, stop by. We'll be here until 10 o'clock Central. Stay tuned. We're going to be talking National Cattlemen's Beef Association when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's. And more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. To take a look at grains here this morning in the early go of things, we're mostly lower. We have come off the lows a little bit, though, trying to find a little bit of buying momentum after some profit taking has been seen here uh, yesterday and through the overnight session into this morning. Got a few bearish factors out there in the corn market, higher ethanol stocks in production this week, China reportedly growing a huge corn crop there, and also, of course, watching the wheat market as that starts to pull back as tensions seem to ease a bit with Russia and Ukraine. And we are seeing bean meal turn higher here in the early go of things this morning. So that could provide some support here to the soybean market. South American weather continues to show plenty of bullish factors to it. So we'll be watching that very closely as production ideas continue to uh, whittle down there. 
Weekly export sales and shipments not bad on the quarter in soybean sign for both old and new crop. Wheat was a little bit weak. Also, weekly export sales and shipments for beef and pork looked pretty solid as well here this morning as we see the hog market trading higher with cattle futures trading moderately lower here in the early go. Taking a look at numbers, March corn five and three quarters lower, six sixteen and three quarters. July corn down five and a half, six eleven and three quarters. March soybeans five lower, fifteen forty and a quarter. July down six and three quarters, fifteen thirty six. March bean meal two eighty a ton higher, four thirty seven ninety. March bean oil down sixty five point sixty five thirty three. March Chicago wheat four and a quarter lower, seven fifty and three quarters. March Kansas City wheat five and a half lower, seven sixty four. March spring wheat Minneapolis down four at nine oh four. February hog 62 higher 8797 March feeder cattle down 52 166.35 and live cattle for April down 92 145.97 crude oil down 17 cents at 8809 you're listening to AOA I'm Jesse Allen reporting vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks so much to, for tuning in to AOA today. Boy, it is hard to believe it is February 3rd. I'm down in Houston, Texas, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. You know, we've been talking to a lot of the folks who have been here as attendees. We've been talking to a lot of the folks on the show here who are trade show folks. They're down here selling products, connecting with, with beef producers around the country. Well, today we're going to be talking about people from the show itself. Tanner Beamer, the Director of Government Affairs with NCBA is joining us now. And Tanner, yesterday a much anticipated meeting happened here at NCBA and this was the, the policy discussion for the live cattle marketing team. There is a lot on their plate this year. There's a lot under discussion. Tanner, the most I've seen under discussion policy-wise as it relates to, to the cattle business in, in my lifetime. Give us the high points. What was the the, the decision, the discussion like yesterday, talking about in particular cash sale purchase mandates. Yeah, you bet, and thanks for having me on, Mike. I mean, that that you, you hit the nail on the head, right? We have had a robust discussion about this topic for about the last two years now, and probably even longer than that, if you really want to uh, boil it down. Yesterday in that committee, we were tasked with, um, you know, about a year ago in Denver, we passed policy that said that we were going to do a voluntary means to increase and satisfy the requirements of that voluntary framework. So per the policy that was passed by our members in Denver, we then to pursue some sort of legislative or regulatory uh, mechanism to help improve things. We have long opposed the government telling cattle producers how they can market their cattle. We've had strong policy on the books for quite some time on that issue. But the question was, where do we go from here? Uh, the, the, the discussion yesterday was robust and there were, there were folks on both sides, but ultimately what happened is we reaffirmed our opposition to cash market mandates and anything that would limit a producer's freedom of choice and how they market their cattle. But we also are pursuing legislative and regulatory solutions, continuing to pursue those uh, solutions uh, in things like the cattle contract library. We had a very robust discussion about livestock mandatory reporting, which needs to be reauthorized by the 18th of this month. Uh, we'll see if that happens in the appropriations process, as has been the case uh, for about a year and a half now. 
Um, but we anticipate there to be a lot of discussion in, in that element as well, just from a market transparency perspective. Leverage, producers are gotta be able to have some leverage in these negotiations, whether you're selling feeder cattle or fat cattle. And one of the ways that we've been advocating for that is for investments into processing capacity. And we've seen USDA uh, and make those announcements to invest those dollars in that. So ultimately it was a robust conversation. Uh, we, we talked a lot about price discovery. That was probably the headline item, but there were about seven or eight other very strong policies that are aimed at being those legislative and regulatory solutions uh, that we can help bring some leverage back to cattle producers and start to see some profitability in the industry again. Yeah, and you know, I had a conversation with a couple of folks just wandering around the trade show earlier this week, or earlier t uh, this week, Tanner, and I tell you, that there, is a, there is a strong hesitancy for producers, and I was talking to a lot of my friends from, from Iowa, a, a hesitancy to have the government force their their friends, you know, f fellow cattle feeders in the Southern Plains to force them to change the way they do business. So I, I imagine that was probably what played out yesterday. It's freedom to run your operation, my freedom to run my operation. Looking at some of those other measures that was considered at the committee, uh, what were some of the ones that politically you think we've got the best shot of getting something across the finish line this year? I think that cattle contract library is it. Um, you know, we had a we had a really good momentum. We saw this legislation get introduced uh, in a manner that was very consistent with what our members wanted and consistent with policy that was adopted yesterday uh, to kind of clarify some of our positions on that contract library. You know, I've been in Washington five years, which isn't that long in the grand scheme of things, but it's long enough to know that if a bill gets introduced and 48 hours later gets marked up by a unanimous vote of the House Agriculture Committee, and shortly after that passes the House of Representatives on the suspension calendar, that is moving at the speed of light by DC standards. And so we're hopeful that we can capture on some of that momentum, some of the good discussions that we had yesterday with unanimous support for concepts like these, like the contract library, uh, and, and you turn that into forward progress in the Senate because that is, it, it is a layup. You know, I, I, I really don't understand why that hasn't advanced through the process a little bit quicker at this point. And, and so really on that bill, cattle contract library specifically it's it's just sitting in the senate it's we're just waiting for action does it have to go through the ag committee first is there a bill even about the cattle contract library yet in the senate sure so so the cattle contract library is is part of that fisher grassley bill um, which we are not supportive of because of that uh, mandate on regional negotiated trade um, but we have been very vocal that hey if you separate that part off we can support the vast majority of what is in that bill including the contract library so from a procedural perspective yes it would need to have a hearing in the House Agriculture Committee in order to advance on to the Senate. Um, and there, there could be some opportunities for that coming up, but you know, we're going into a midterm election year and uh, Congress likes to spend as little time in Washington, D.C. as possible so that they can be out on the campaign trail in their home states. Mandatory price reporting. Tanner, where does NCBA fall on that? And do you think it's gonna, do you think it's gonna happen here short term? Do we'll be thrown into the continuing resolution or whatever happens for government funding? You know, mandatory price reporting is the single great market transparency tool that is currently available to cattle producers. And there are ways that we can improve upon that. We talked about that very robustly yesterday, um, but NPR is, is a very important program for cattle producers, and we are uh, very much in support of it. We would like to see it get over the finish line. We've been a little bit uncertain, right, because that is a program that usually gets reauthorized by Congress every five years, but we've been uh, kicking the can down the road during temporary extensions, and we would like to have the certainty of seeing a full five-year reauthorization of that program. Um, might want to pursue some changes to that, but our ultimate goal is to make sure that that program does not lose authority. I would imagine that uh, the, there will be some action taken on the appropriations front, probably with another continuing resolution to fund the government for another period of time. Uh, estimates of how long that is kind of vary, but I'm going to say probably to the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. Okay. All right. So, it, boy, that kicks us right in front of the midterm elections. Tanner, that seems like they're just setting themselves up for a big battle heading into the elections. It's more theater from D.C. All right. I want to circle back to a point you just made. Mandatory price reporting. Tanner, you said that is one of the greatest tools that producers have for managing price transparency. Give us, give us an update. How, how can producers use the data that is going to be compiled here in a mandatory price reporting uh, scheme? You know, mandatory price...
exporting is 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 so vast, and a lot of producers don't realize just how much information there is in that program. In that meeting yesterday, USDA come and talk to us about some of the 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 challenges that they faced in distributing that information. It doesn't. It's not always easy to find on the USDA website. It's not always in the most user friendly format. They have gone to great lengths, and they deserve a ton of credit for what they have done to make that more user friendly, to make that more easily accessible, and to educate producers about the type of information in there. So I'm not trying to pass on your question. It's just it's difficult to answer because if if you know what you're looking for and it is accessible to you, there there is really not a limit to how you can use that information to make individual business decisions. And I'm talking about for at the feedlot level all the way up to the calf producer as well. And even if you want to go back to the genetic side, seed producers as well can learn a lot from some of the information that is available through NPR. Okay. All right. So that will be interesting. And what, what was your timeline on that, Tanner? You think that's going to happen here in, it, it, along with whatever happened? Yes. I don't think we will see a full five-year reauthorization conversation uh, this year, um, or at least in this appropriation cycle. But I do not anticipate that the program will, will lose its authority. I think it will get dealt with uh, before the February 18th deadline, and then we'll set a new deadline and make sure it doesn't lapse then either. <laughs> All right. Now, I know that uh, NCBA has also been fairly active discussing ways to make it easier for folks to file complaints if there is alleged abuses, if there are concerns, if, 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 a, if a processor is taking advantage of a producer and somehow you guys have advocated for an online portal. Can you talk a little bit about what that might look like to the, the FTC or the Department of Justice? Sure. So uh, the administration actually announced at the beginning of January that the Department of Justice, in conjunction with USDA's Packers and Stockyards Division, was going to be teeing up an online portal for producers who believe that there may have been a violation of the Packers and Stockyards Act to report that directly to those two agencies. And that is a, a good, that's a good sign, right? Because that means that we have a partnership between the enforcement side on the Justice Department and the agriculture side as well, where there is enforcement authority over there as well, um, but they're really more so focused on, on the agriculture perspective. So you have the, the legal and the agricultural coming together and there's a, a, a great opportunity there. So we were very, we were very pleased to see that. Okay, enforcement, the FTC, the DOJ, they're looking at, at anti competitive practices, not just in beef, but really across the whole economy. Tanner, this seems like something the, the administration seems committed to. Do you see them moving quickly on the beef side? Settlement amount announced this morning from JBS. Is the pressure being put in the right places? You know, I, I, I think that this conversation about enforcement, right, is a good one to have. And I think we need to make sure that we don't make the solution worse than the, than the, the, the problem, right? Uh, things like the harm to competition standard, right? We we know that USDA is going to be putting out some rulemakings, clarifying some things on packers and stockyards. Uh, we expect that to be out the door later this spring. And again, we want to make sure that we're looking at this from an industry-wide perspective, right? Is the business practice in question or the alleged violation of packers and stockyards an anti-competitive practice? Or, or, or is it something a little bit more individualistic than that? So um, we certainly support a robust packers and stockyards that has strong enforcement authority to make sure that there is our fair markets to play with but again we want to make sure that we are focusing our attention in the proper places and it sounds like we're adding some more capacity adding more production is obviously a, a long-term goal for NCBA yeah absolutely um, there was a study that came out from Rabobank in September of 2020 that said that the industry could economically accommodate an additional 5,700 hooks of daily processing capacity, which is a lot of cattle over the course of a year. Um, and that's a little bit difficult right now since we're not quite utilizing our existing capacity due to labor constraints and, and a bunch of other regulatory compliance uh, with the packers. But we also think we need to have some of those investments in the small regional packing plants to diversify that up a little bit. And they can also serve very niche markets, yes. both on the buy and sell side of the product. And add value close to home. Indeed. That's always a way we can use the cattle market. Folks, thanks for tuning in today. We'll have more AOA when we return here on the trade show floor at NCBA in Houston. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. 
And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we are on the floor of the NCBA trade show down here in Houston. Joining me for this fourth segment of the show today is Jesse Allen. He is the Farm and Ranch Director for the American Ag Network. He's the host of Market Talk. Jesse, where can listeners see Market Talk every day? MarketTalkAg.com. They can find the link as well on the uh, American Ag Network website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. And Mike, it's good to be in Houston with you. It is. It's a good, it's a good crowd, a lot of enthusiasm. Jesse, is what I'm hearing from producers. I know you've been interviewing folks for the last three days. What are some of the big takeaways you've heard from uh, from cattle producers down here? You know, a lot of enthusiasm. I would echo that sentiment, Mike. A lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasm surrounding just where agriculture is at. We've seen some great profitability. I know there's a little bit of uh, worry with cattle market reforms. That's a big topic right now. Uh, but overall, I'd say there's there's a lot of enthusiasm in the crowd here in Houston and a lot of great new products that are advancing forward uh, the cattle industry as well. Yeah, you know, a phrase I've heard more in the last two days than I've ever heard in my entire life is, this is an industry ready to make money. It's cattle feeders in particular, they've had two almost, well, coming up on three years now of struggles with, with cash cattle pricing. The cow-calf guy, we've seen drought. We heard from Larry Schnell earlier today. The dryness across the country, Southern Plains is drought. The folks here have toughed it out for two or three years and they're ready to make some money. Jesse, you talk markets every day. You talk to some of the smartest folks in the business. Are we gonna see more profitability for the beef producer here in this upcoming year? There's a lot of optimism among a lot of market analysts about that being the case, Mike. You know, we look at the markets today. I mean, feeder cattle turned around a little bit here. They're up slightly. We're talking 160, 170 feeder cattle right now, even some 180s out to the summer months. You look at live cattle, 140s. I mean, we're holding some good profitable levels here. And you think about this as COVID worries start to seed a little bit. We start to get more demand back out there. We have great export demand. There's great domestic demand. Yes. We saw weekly export sales and shipments today. We're, we're solid uh, again as we start the new year. I mean, there's a lot of factors that are starting to really give some bullish momentum and underside to these cattle markets as we as we move into 2022 more. And, you know, I mean, just looking at the markets today, corn's down. I mean, mm -hmm. not much, but a few pennies. And I know producers out here obviously very concerned about feed costs. That was the, it snuck up on them. You know, we heard from Larry, his hay costs have, have almost, well, they have tripled, almost quadrupled in the past year. Jesse, you talk to grains analysts, well, daily on Market Talk. Yeah. Where does this corn market run from here? We're at $6. Have you heard 650? Is that coming down the line or do you think we're going to settle back here? What have you been hearing from your folks? There's an argument out there for 650, Mike. It's just going to be a matter of certain things coming together you know really the last week or two soybeans the soy market has been the big driver in these grain markets I mean we saw soybeans shoot up through that $15 mark 1550 you know we got there with ease it seemed like this corn market kind of chopped around it has to go with soybeans to try and maintain acres here in 2022 yeah. that acreage battles not over and you throw wheat in that picture you throw other grains cotton oats you said it I mean it's there's a lot of things coming up with the acreage battle corn it's gonna take a few things to come together to possibly shoot corn towards that 650 mark or whatnot moving forward it's possible but right now it just feels like we've taken a little profit we got a little overbought now these markets are waiting for the next news item South American weather yes. is huge right now a lot of bullish momentum from that but when you see the wheat market backing off as tensions sort of ease in Russia Ukraine that's going to weigh on the corn market. Really, the corn market's just caught in the middle between mm -hmm. soybeans and wheat right now. And it, it's just going to depend what way corn goes. It's going to see, you know, which market it goes with. Does it go with the soy complex or does it go with wheat? And that'll be the thing to really watch here the next couple of weeks ahead. Well, let's talk about that soy complex, that South American weather. Mm -hmm. Jesse, my goodness, I'm tired of talking about it. I think the yeah. audience is tired of listening to it, but it is it is a bad story happening down there in Brazil and in Argentina. Is the market, have we cooked in losses on the soy, soybean crop? You know, with the <laughs> private production estimates that keep coming in here, it, it keeps getting lowered. Now, will that get verified by the combines? That's the biggest mm -hmm. thing I'm hearing. And, you know, we've seen in past years to where 
we get these lower production estimates and then the combines roll and it wasn't as bad as expected. So once we get that crop harvested, really get a look at what is in the bin. You know, do they have challenges planting second crop corn, Sabrina yeah. corn? So is with, that rally coming, yeah. Jesse? Yeah, I mean, what have you? Okay, yeah, we're not I, quite to the timeline I yet to grow concern. No, I don't think we're quite there yet, but we are very close. I would say in the next couple of weeks, we're really going to know what the outlook is here for Brazil and Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay. And, and once we get that more verified, you know, it could be a very, it could give us a lot of fireworks. I've heard plenty of analysts say that there is a lot of room to run in these grain markets if everything comes together. Yes, everything comes together. And Jesse, we were also dealing with inflation concerns. Yep. We've got central bank issues. Saw the Bank of England raised interest rates today. So that fight against inflation is heating up. Have you heard from folks, is inflation going to be beneficial for grains as, as we at least go for the next couple of months? Is that going to be a tailwind for the market? Well, you know, from what I hear from a lot of analysts, they talk about this, you know, uh, spec money. They're throwing money into commodities as a hedge against inflation. Where's the safe place to go? Commodities. So you would think that, yes, if we continue to have inflation, we're going to see more money flow into these markets. We know that, you know, things are computer driven now. The algorithms, they start seeing that spec money come in. We saw that on Tuesday. Look how everything just took off on Tuesday with all that new money coming in to start the new month. So as producers, I hear this a lot from analysts. And I'll drive this point home here before we run out of time is that, these are incredible price levels right now, and the analysts that I talk to, they stress, you know, lock in a floor and then go from there. Do what you want to do with your marketing plan, or if you want to make sales, make yeah. sales, but take advantage of where things are at right now. That's just, uh, that's what I've gathered from analysts. Perfect, folks. This is Jesse Stewart, Farm and Ranch Director at the American Ag Network, host of Market Talk. Find that at markettalkag.com. Jesse, thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be back to a more regular show. Won't be on the convention center floor, but thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you making AOA a part of your day. We'll see you tomorrow with Arlen Suderman on AOA. Take care, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.